I'm John Carter in Moscow. Now in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine. I'm John Carter in Petra, reporting from India. In Colombia. I'm John Carter. Today on the Carter Report, John Carter talks about the Star Maker. Welcome back. Today we're talking about the Star Maker. We're talking about how Yahweh Elohim, the Almighty God, was born of the Blessed Virgin Mary in the person of Jesus. The great question is this, why did the incarnation happen? Why was it necessary for God to come down to this earth and walk around as a human being? I've got three reasons here. I'm sure there are many reasons, but here are three. Here's the first one to show us what God is like. Did you know that many people in the world really hate God? They're mad with God. People say he, he just, if he exists, then he's got to be just a terrible person because why does he allow this to happen? Why does he allow cancer? Why, why does he? And so God became a man firstly to show us what God is like. I want you to come over in the Bible to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 16, dear hearts and gentle people. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 16. This is quite an amazing passage. The Bible says, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. He who abides in love abides in God and God in him. The Bible says God is a very nice person. I want you to think of the nicest person you know. And there are lots of nice people in this world. I want you to think of somebody you sort of look up to and you sort of idolize that person. Well, that person is just a dim reflection of what God is like. God is good, God is kind, and the Bible says God is love. This means his greatest characteristic is that he's just a loving, kind person. Uh, you, some of you here will know this poem. It's, uh, it's a great poem. I'm going to read all the verses because it just sort of tears at my heart. You know it. Written by Frederick Lehman. The love of God. <laughs> you know it? is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star, reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair, Adam and Eve, bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Oh, love of God, how rich pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure. The saints and angels song. I like these words. When hoary time shall pass away and earthly thrones and kingdoms fall. When men who here refuse to pray on rocks and hills and mountains call. God's love so sure shall still endure. 
all measureless and strong, redeeming grace to Adam's race, saints and angels' song. Could we with ink the ocean fill? That's tough. And were the skies of parchment made? That's even tougher. Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched sky to sky. The universe is incomprehensible, but so then is the love of the star maker. Now, I know you love your children. I love my children. I've got three children. I love them all. Uh, we've got uh, grandchildren now. Can I tell you something? Have you ever seen a grandmother's love? <laughs> is there anything stronger than a grandmother's love? Yes, there is. The love of God is greater far. There was a man who was scarred, blind, uh, seen walking with a beautiful young woman. She was a beautiful girl. But he was a, a wreck of a human being. She held him tight. They walked along beneath the, the trees in an avenue in Washington, D.C. There he was so hideous. She was so beautiful. Sometimes people would say, what does she see in him? He's so ugly. He's so scarred. But then somebody told the real story. Here it is. When he was a young man, perfect eyesight, perfect skin, there was a fire in his house. And in the bedroom... There was his little sister. And he beat his way into the bedroom and he picked up his little sister. He covered her with love and with blankets. And he staggered out through the fire and the fire consumed his eyes. That's his sister. That's his sister who walks with him. Is she ashamed of him? No. She says, I'm not ashamed of him and I love him because he was scarred so that I could live. Now I want you to know something. There's a person who came down from the third heavens, Yahweh Elohim. And he walked into the fire and he's scarred. And the scars tell us that he loves us. The greatest truth in the whole world is not the truth about the Big Bang or the theory of relativity that I've tried to study. It's the truth that he loves us. I have here three reasons why he came. I have three reasons. And there you could add to them. We could all add to them. He came to show us 
how to live. Because what a mess we've made of this world. We've turned paradise into hell. The human race has made a dreadful mess of things. Even churches torn apart, people fighting each other. In the world, there is so much hatred, lust, cruelty, violence. And today, there are more people, can you believe it? There are more people today in chains as slaves than during the time of Wilberforce and the slave trade. What a mess we've made of it in America. From a nation of the Pilgrim Fathers, a pious people, a good people. We turn on television and we see vice and corruption and meanness and ugliness. He came to show us the way to happiness. Now, I want you to come over here to John chapter 10 and verses 9 and 10. Please turn on the text. And uh, Jesus said these words. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved uh, and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what sin does. That's what heroin does. That's what hate does. He said, I've come that they may have life, that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus did not come to take away anything that is worthwhile from us. He came to give us something. He came to show us how to live. I would suggest to you sometime that you do this, that this will be difficult. Read through slowly Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And you'll find there what Christ really taught. 95% of people who go to church haven't got a clue what Christ was all about. They're religious. He came to show us the way of love, of peace, grace, forgiveness, and reconciliation. He said some words that burn in my soul. These are the hardest words I know anywhere in print. They came from the mouth of the star maker. He said, uh, love your enemies. Almost too hard to believe. Love your enemies. Forgive your enemies. He said, no, can't do it. You know why we don't do it? Because we don't know the star maker. He said, love your enemies. See him before the Jewish Sanhedrin when they beat him up. And they spat in his face. Has that ever happened to you? Nothing's happened to us. That we should be so wildly indignant for our own dignity. See him before Pilate, this evil man who turned the Roman soldiers loose on him. And he said, love your enemies. And he did. He came to show us that love is better than hate. 
So if you want to learn to live, then read his teachings, Matthew 5 to 7. And here is the third reason he came. And I would suggest this could be the most important. He came to slay the dragon of sin. Sin had infested the universe. There was a being who became tremendously proud, the fallen angel, Lucifer. He had poisoned all the springs of life and he got a foothold in this world. And Jesus, the star maker, the great I am, the eternal son of God came to slay the dreadful dragon of sin, the dragon being Lucifer himself. I want you to come to these remarkable words. These words are not believed by all Christians today. 1 John chapter 4 and verses 9 and 10. Those who believe the heresy of the moral influence theory do not believe these words. 1 John chapter 4 and verses 9 and 10 in the word of God. 1 John chapter 4 verses 9 and 10. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This word propitiation is at the root of many theological controversies, especially in Southern California. Because they say the word is so nauseous, it is so objectionable that we cannot believe uh, that Christ was a propitiation because a propitiation is a pagan concept. And so this is why it is rejected by the moral influence theologians and that theory, incidentally, is considered by every church to be the greatest of heresies. Now, what does it mean to be a propitiation? It means this, that God is a righteous and a holy God. After all, he is the star maker. He is a righteous and a holy God. And when we sinned against him and kicked him in the face, as it were, The Bible says that because God is totally love, he is also a holy God. And God cannot just say to the human race, well, that's fine, just forget it. God cannot forgive sin without an atonement or a propitiation. When Christ took our sins upon him, and hung on the cross, it was God hanging on the cross and being punished for my sin. The holiness of God demanded a propitiation and an atoning sacrifice, and God didn't just say to his son, you're the third person, you, you go and clean up the dirty mess. God said, I will come down in the person of my son. 
and I will bear the wrath of God because of transgression. Of course, this viewpoint I'm teaching today has been accepted in history by all the learned theologians, only repudiated by, pardon my saying it, the great heretics. When I was a little boy and I would get sick with an upset tummy, my mother would get out the castor oil. I'm sure they don't have that abominable treatment here in these enlightened United States. But when I was brought up in Australia, that oil was the cure for every sickness under the sun. And my mother would get out this stuff, but you know what she would do? She would take it herself. And thus the expression, he or she took his or her own medicine. We say he took his own medicine. That means uh, he took that upon himself which was awful and nauseating. Now can you understand this? That when God and Christ hung upon the cross, he was taking his own medicine. His own medicine said, uh, you must drink the poison that, that kills. And so he said, I will drink it. He said to the human race, you are going to drink the cup of poison. And the human race drank the cup of poison in the person of Christ. And on the cross, this is the doctrine that is called the atonement. And without the atonement, there is no Christianity. I want you to turn to Isaiah 53, verses 3 to 6. We must not become superficial believers. We must believe the texts of the Bible. Isaiah 53, verses 3 to 6. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Now listen to this. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of, for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Don't forget these words. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all the iniquity of all the world from the first sinner to the last sinner, it was laid upon Christ. And in Christ, God took his own medicine. And that's why he came down. That's the main reason. I've told you this story before because Russia has made such an impact upon my life because I've gone there preaching the gospel for so many years, 50 times. But during the days of the Gullig Archipelago, when the communists, the atheists, I remind you, the atheists were murdering and killing tens of millions of people. Don't forget it. In Russia, the atheists murdered millions, and even of their own. And on one occasion, in one of the Gulligs, there was a group, a vast group of atheists and some believers. And some of those believers were the Baptists. 
And these Baptist Christians would say to the guards when they were beating up an atheist who was polluting the air with cursing and swearing and blasphemy of God, they would say, don't beat him. Beat me. Because when you beat me, God, I will not curse God, but I will praise God and the world will be a better place because of my beating. And the Russians called them the born fools. Born fools. God became, and I say this with great reverence, he became the born fool. He was born of the Blessed Virgin Mary and he was born to bear our sins. And he didn't have to. He became the propitiation. The question I ask you is this. Here it is. Who is the man hanging on the cross? Who is the man? The man hanging on the cross is the star maker. How can we ever hope to understand that with our peanut minds? With our tiny little minds uh, that have been destroyed by our society. Hanging on the cross, taking his own medicine was the star maker. Therefore, there are decisions we should make today. Number one, believe in the star maker. Believe how big, strong, and loving he is. One night at Avondale, no money, long hours, falling behind in my studies, sick and tired, just a boy, but praying to God beneath the stars. And hearing the voice of God say from the stars, I will take care of you. Believe in the star maker. And accept his death for our sins. 1 John chapter 1 verses 5 to 9. I want you to notice these words. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay? Therefore, believe in the star maker. Accept his death for our sins. Let me read you a statement from Philip Yancey and what's so amazing about grace. You can follow it. In 1987, an IRA bomb went off in a small town west of Belfast met a group of Protestants who had gathered to honour the war dead on Veterans Day. Eleven people died and 63 others were wounded. What made this act of terrorism stand out from so many others was the response of one of the wounded, Gordon Wilson, a devout Methodist who had immigrated north from the Irish Republic to work as a draper. The bomb buried Wilson and his 20-year-old daughter under five feet of concrete and brick. Daddy, I love you very much, were the last words Maria spoke grasping her father's hand as they waited for the rescuers. 
She suffered severe spinal and brain injuries and died a few hours later at the hospital. A newspaper later proclaimed, no one remembers what the politicians had to say at that time. No one who heard Gordon Wilson will ever forget what he confessed. His grace towered over the miserable justification of the bombers. Speaking from his hospital bed, Wilson said, I've lost my daughter, but I bear no grudge. Bitter talk is not going to bring Maria Wilson back to life. I shall pray tonight and every night that God uh, will forgive them. His daughter's last words were words of love and Gordon Wilson determined to live out his life on that plane of love. The world wept, said one report, as Wilson gave a similar interview over the BBC radio that week. After his release from hospital, Gordon Wilson led a crusade for Protestant Catholic reconciliation. Protestant extremists who had planned to avenge the bombing decided because of the publicity surrounding Wilson that such behavior would be politically foolish. Wilson wrote a book about his daughter, spoke out against violence and constantly repeated the refrain, love is the bottom line. He met with the IRA, personally forgave them for what they'd done and asked them to lay down their arms. Is anyone listening? I know you've lost loved ones just like me, he told them. Surely enough is enough. Enough blood has been spilled. The Irish Republic ultimately made Wilson a member of its Senate. When he died in 1995, the Irish Republic, Northern Ireland and all of Great Britain honoured this ordinary Christian who'd gained fame for his uncommon spirit of grace and forgiveness. Listen. What made it possible? What made it possible? The coming of the star maker who died for us. In the series, This I Believe, Pastor Carter reveals the heart and soul of the Carter Report. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Ten Commandments. I believe in the true gospel. I believe in the last days. I believe in the America that believes in God. I believe in heaven. I believe in evangelism. This, I believe. The seven DVD series, This I Believe, can be yours with a gift of $75 US or $105 Australian. Please write to us at the address on the screen or visit our website at carterreport.org. The reviews for the John Carter biography are in, and this is what they say. Anyone who reads this fascinating book and is not moved should check to see if they still have a pulse. I believe this book about God's miracles in Russia and Ukraine will burn the flame in your heart. This could prove to be one of the most important books ever written about public evangelism. Make sure you get a copy. I believe this book about John Carter's life will help readers grasp a vision for their lives.
For a donation of $100 or more, a signed copy of the John Carter biography can be yours by writing to us at the address on the screen or visit our website. For a copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.